Let's turn this morning to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Just to follow up on a clear understanding of the book of Revelation, Christ will return, and he will return uh, when? Soon. Soon. Okay, there you go. What else do you need to know about? Hmm? 2 Corinthians chapter 2. If you recall, we're kind of going through 2 Corinthians and picking out particular words, words of faith, words that will encourage us, uh, challenge us in, 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 a, in a great way and, and, and bless us. And today's word is triumph. Now, if you're a uh, connoisseur of uh, British cars that break down a lot, then triumph may bring up certain uh, images in your mind. I had an MG and it broke down a lot, but that was... It was character, right? That, that's what British cars have character. Um, even when you're broken down alongside the road and it's raining, it's still character. <laughs> Let's stand as we prepare to read the Word of God. Heavenly Father, descend upon us with your Holy Spirit, that our eyes would be open to the things of your Word, that we would have clarity of thought and insight. Lord, that we would simply rest in the fact of who you are, what you have done, and now what you call us to do and how you call us to live. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. Now, when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God, But as from sincerity, but as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Nothing uh, marks time, events, and events for me so much as odors do. I don't know how you are, whether you are uh, an odor person, uh, not that... Uh, that you would smell, but uh, you would smell with your nose. How about that? But good smells really bring back memories. The only perhaps more powerful thing in my life would be bad smells. Okay, They would bring back memories as well. I've got um, uh, you know some, some coffee here, and isn't it wonderful to walk through that aisle in the grocery store where all the coffees are, and you can smell, and oh, it just smells so good. But it it just never tastes that good, you know? That's why you have to put in all that other stuff uh, to to cover the bitterness of the coffee. But it smells good. It smells good. There are, um, let me tell you about a couple of my favorite smells in the world. I can remember growing up, coming home from school, and outside of the house, I could smell this. And it would be my mother cooking something on the stove because this base was the base for a lot of things, but it involved butter, garlic, and onions. 
Oh, that, that's a good smell. I'm going to tell you what, that's a good smell. And it's sautéing in the pan. And you know how it, when you sell houses, sometimes you, you, you'll light a candle that smells like an apple pie cooking or something like that. If you want me to buy your house, just put a little garlic and onions and butter in a pan and, and, and sauté it over there, okay? Uh, that, that'll make me feel like this is home, okay? This is home. Um, there are other good smells in life. You think of uh, the way a baby smells. You know, babies have that certain smell. Not, you know, not the one end of the baby, but just the, in general, babies have that good smell. Um, barbecue, smoking on the grill, you know, there's, there's that. And it brings back, of course, again, memories are all wrapped, for me, so often wrapped around odors. Now, my favorite smell in the world, uh, obviously I think you would, we would hope this would be my favorite smell in the world, is my wife's perfume. She has worn the same perfume for 25 years because that's the only one that I like. Now, that's a sacrifice, okay? That's a sacrifice. But it must be some shortcoming in my olfactory senses. And I'm sorry for this, ladies, but most perfume smells like bug spray to me, okay? Just like you went and put off on. It's not your fault. It's my mother's fault, okay? Because it's the same thing for her. She, she has one perfume that she can wear and tolerate. The rest just smell like bug spray. And so often that's what happens. But when Judy has that perfume on, it's all good. Okay, it's all good. Of course, there are some smells that are associated with not-so-good memories. Okay? Burnt hair. Okay? <laughs> lighting, lighting the grill in the backyard. Okay, and losing my eyebrows, that's a bad memory. Um, You've you got something in the stove, and, and you take the wrong utensil, okay? You don't take a metal utensil, you take a plastic one, and you touch one of the elements in the oven or something, and you immediately burn plastic. Blah, that's a bad memory, bad smell. Now, of course, we all have other smells, that tie us to certain memories that aren't pleasant for us. And, and I won't go on and list all the, the smells in my, lives that, in my life that has bring back bad memories. But we all have those, and we're tied to them because smells are very important to us. They are usually emotionally charged and mark an event or a person or a place or something like that. Uh, you know, you can always smell when you get close to the beach, right? It's not the ocean you're smelling. Uh, it's it's all the, the floatsome that, that kind of gets up there and, and gives off an odor. That's really what you're smelling. Now, you can get down to the beach and smell the salt water, but far away, you're smelling those other things. But it brings back those good memories, doesn't it? The beach is a place of refuge, and, and you like to hear the water at night as it, as it comes in. And uh, some people say, oh, I sleep much better when I can hear the sound of the ocean. Well, there are plenty of smells listed in Scripture, plenty of smells. In the Old Testament, there are fragrant, uh, fragrant aromas in the nostrils of God. Usually burnt offerings are seen that way. If you remember Jacob, he appropriated, uh, appropriates a nice word, appropriated the smell of his brother, okay, to fool his father, and that helped him get that blessing, uh, Daniel's three friends. What happened to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Into the furnace they went. And when they came out of the furnace, how did they smell? They didn't even have the smell of smoke on them. Okay, And the furnace was, was heated how hot? 
seven times hotter than normal. Okay, uh, mostly smells in in the Old Testament, in particular, are centered around smells involved in worship. Smells involved in worship. Now, outside of the way things, the way we used to do things on Easter, and and I know some people love these things. I'm one of the people that that didn't love them so much because they were all right here, the lilies on Easter, okay? We would have 24 lilies, and they would all be up here. And and in the back, it might smell nice, but up here, it's killing me, okay? Now we're down to two. Um, So sometimes smells are involved in in our world here. We don't have that many smells involved in worship. Um, But if you go back into uh, Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodox, and things like that, they are very uh, sense-oriented in worship. The, the, the priest comes in with the censer, and the incense is burning. Uh, you might get splashed with holy water for various things. Um, our only smells come from, um, you know, if James is downstairs cooking lunch, and there's a good smell, okay? But it's not involved in, it's not particularly centered upon worship. But in the Old Testament, we have lots of smells that are centered around worship. They are fragrances to the Lord. And and the Lord is presented as someone who smells and it is pleasing to him. These burnt offerings that the Old Testament saints would offer to the Lord are seen as pleasing the Lord, pleasing in his nostrils. In the New Testament, and in our passage in particular, there is a fragrance that is attached to the knowledge of Christ. A fragrance that is attached to the knowledge of Christ, to those who follow him, to those who proclaim him, and to the works that come from a heart that has been changed by Christ. And you think, I didn't know my works had any smells or any odors. I might have an odor after I work hard, but uh, how does the Lord smell? It is that image from the Old Testament that is taken and applied here to the works. They are pleasing in the Lord's sight, pleasing before him. So let's look at some of these things in 2 Corinthians and how they apply to triumph. You think, well, okay, we've talked about smell. Now, how do they apply to triumph? Smells were very important, in, not in, only in Scripture, but in this culture as well. About a year or two ago, we talked about what was called a Roman triumph parade. That is when a returning Roman general who had won a victory in a certain fashion, uh, had to be a very large victory, overwhelming, uh, had to be over so many troops, and and had to be completely uh, annihilating the enemy, would have a triumph parade or a parade of triumph when he returned to Rome. That would mean that all of Rome would turn out for this parade. The general would lead the procession. Behind him would be his generals and his army, and they would march through the city And then behind them would be the captured generals, the captured leaders, then the captured army, and then would be the spoils of of what they had taken from that land. And the people would come and they would throw flower petals and there would be an odor in Rome and they saw it as an odor of triumph, the smell of sweetness in the air. And for the Romans, it was an odor of triumph. But for those at the end of that line of the parade, those who had been captured... In battle, it was the smell of death because that meant that at the end of the parade, when all the celebrations were over, 
Odds were they were going to be executed or they were going to be sold into slavery. So for some, it is an odor of life. And for some, it is an odor of death. And this is what Paul is talking about here in the sense of this odor and this fragrance. Some life unto life, some death unto death. Turn with me uh, back a few pages to Romans chapter 12. When we talk about these offerings before the Lord that are sweet in his nostrils, these works that we are called to do, no better place to turn than Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So our bodies, our very lives, are to be offerings before the Lord. And a life that is lived out in acceptable spiritual service of worship In a sense, all of what we do is worship. All of what we do is to be offered up to the Lord. It is pleasing in his sight, a pleasing fragrance before him. And our bodies are to be a living sacrifice, holy unto the Lord, devoted to him. Uh, A young man came to me, found out I was a minister, and and he came to me one day. He said, uh, Pastor, I'm having a terrible time. I'm not experiencing what I think I should experience in my Christian life. I'm not, I don't have victory in my Christian life. I'm not getting out of the Lord all that I think I should get. He said, I, I, I'm just struggling with everything in my, in my Christian world. And, and so I, I, I contemplated this. This was kind of out of the blue. So he took my silence of contemplation as an opportunity to talk more. So he said, well, let me tell you what I've tried. I've tried. I'm going to a church, and and um, you, you know we're, we're, we all we all speak in tongues, and we all dance, and we all there's healings, and and I've been slain in the spirit. He went on and listed this long list of things, and and he says, I've tried to get all I can out of God, and I'm not pleased with my life. And I said, Well, that's your problem. You're trying to get it out of God. Where is your service? Where is your sacrifice unto God? When you want fulfillment, when you want triumph, you do that not by getting from God, but by giving unto the Lord. That's what a sacrifice is all about. He didn't particularly like that. He thought he should just get from the Lord. He thought that the Lord would come, and in those experiences, the Lord would bless him. And I said, you'll find the blessing, you'll find the experience of the Lord when you begin to offer your body as a living sacrifice to him. That's where you'll find your triumph. The living out of the Christian life. Giving yourself away. Uh, back in uh, Corinthians chapter 2, there's a, a mention here of, the Mas- of Macedonia in verse 13. He said, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. Paul went to Macedonia, and here were the poor of the poor of Christians. And Paul is taking up an offering for the church in Jerusalem. And how did the Macedonian Christians give? 
out of their deep poverty, they gave so much more than Paul ever expected. And Paul says, even before they talked about their service to the Lord, they gave of themselves to the Lord. They gave of themselves to the Lord. All spiritual service is a byproduct of self-giving. That sacrifice to the Lord is a sweet smell in his nostrils. The proclamation of the gospel is another sweet smell to the Lord because it exalts the Son. The Father loves the Son. The gospel consists of the words of life and the words of death. That Greek word there means can mean two things. It can mean this sweetness in a smell or it can mean a poison smell. So you get the understanding. Life unto life, that's a sweet smell. Death unto death, that is the poisonous aspect of the smell. And by implication, the smell that rises to the nostrils of the Lord can be the sweet smell of the work of Christ or the sweet, sweet or the poisonous smell of our own works attempting to please the Lord. Now, Paul's writing this, this fragrance because of a Roman parade of triumph, and we, we talked about that and how they would understand that smell that was involved. They would understand the life to life and the death to death involved. And we can see how this parade of triumph means different things to different people. If you are the Roman general, it means life. If you are the captive, it means death. Let's look at verse 14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place, in every place. This is the aroma of Christ to God. It is a smell of the works of Christ. Now, we understand we're speaking about something that is almost intangible here that we can't put our hands on a smell, but yet that is how it is portrayed for us. That the works that we do, the works that what are manifest through us because of the triumph of Christ are sweetness in the nostrils of our Heavenly Father, a pleasing aroma. We see this in Leviticus, we see this in Numbers as that, that image is given to us from the Old Testament. Verse 15, for the fragrance, for we are a fragrance of Christ to God, first among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Flip over a couple pages to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul divides humanity into two sections. Those who are on the road of life to life and those who are facing death. The proclamation of the gospel, in a sense, achieves both ends. The proclamation of the gospel, the word of God, is a two-edged sword. And we, we covered this in Sunday school. What does a two-edged sword do? Divides. Okay, it cuts both ways. That's what the gospel does. It presents the truth. Some will believe, they will follow Christ. Others will reject the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. You ever present the gospel and you're so convinced of it, you're so sure of it, you know it's the truth, and people look at you and go, you're crazy for believing that. Why would you believe stuff like that? To them... 
who are perishing, it is foolishness. It is complete and utter foolishness. It makes no sense in this world. It makes no sense to their minds that have not been opened by the Holy Spirit, nor their hearts prepared. It is foolishness. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. You ever shared your faith and someone has believed and you see their lives changed in a heartbeat? Or maybe it was you when someone shared the gospel of you and you were on the road over here and suddenly the power of God came upon you and you're going this way. It has utterly transformed you. That is the power of God. Why? Because the Lord has opened your eyes to it. Maybe three days ago or a week ago it was foolishness to you, but suddenly the Lord has opened your eyes at that moment and it is the power of God to transform you. From an enemy of our Lord to his son. There's no middle ground. You notice this? There's no middle ground here. There's no no place for those who are contemplating. I mean, there are those who are contemplating, but it says either you are transformed by it or you are not. Either you have the words of life or you are in the midst of death. And until you understand and your eyes are open that it is the power of God under salvation, you are bound by the chains of sin and death and there is no triumph in that there is no triumph in that there is only triumph in the things in the words of life much like in matthew chapter 17 or chapter 7 wide is the gate broad is the road and the gate to heaven is what narrow narrow back to second corinthians Verse 14, thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph. Remember, he's talking about that kind of image of the parade and, the, and things. And manifest through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. The key term there is what? It's through us. Now think of that. Through us, the creator of all things, the God who holds all power has decided to manifest the aroma of Jesus Christ in this world through us. We who are often fickle, often disobedient, we who are weak, yet it is in understanding that when we are weak, we are made strong. He manifests that smell through us. And where does he manifest that smell? In the knowledge of him in every place. What did Heath read today? Out of Romans, how will they hear unless there's a preacher? And they're not talking about me, okay? They're talking about a preacher of the word of God, someone who will declare the things of God. That person will be sent. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. When God planned to manifest the knowledge of Christ in every place and send forth that sweet aroma, the fragrance of the gospel, he planned to do it through us. Are we worthy of that? No. Uh, should, we be, should, we be, uh, should we be doing it? Well, no, not unless the Lord works within us. And Paul addresses that here right at the end. Verse 17, for we are not like many peddling the word of God. We don't peddle the word of God. Paul says, uh, you have to understand the context. Paul is dealing with people who are professional rhetoricians, professional debaters, 
professional speakers. And what they do would be travel from town to town, and they would set up shop in the middle of town and begin to debate and begin to speak, and people would come and pay to hear them. And, you know, you don't usually come and pay to hear things that you don't particularly like. So they would begin to preach the gospel, but they would present the portions of the gospel that are uh, tickling to the people's ears, that people would like to hear. And Paul says, he says, that's adulterating the gospel. That is changing the message of Jesus Christ to fit the desires of the hearts of the hearers. He says, we can't do that. I mean, history is littered with people who have tweaked the word to try to make it more palatable, who have put certain things aside so that we don't have to deal with those, who have emphasized things and even overemphasized things to error to make it happy, to make it feel good. And there are plenty of things in the gospel that are strong, plenty of things in the gospel that are encouraging, but we can never change the word of God in order to make it more palatable to the people. It is what it is. When the word of God is correctly presented, it brings one of two things. It brings life or it brings death. Life to those who believe, death to those who reject it. Paul says we don't water down the gospel. Watered down would be like the wine merchant who has the good wine and then he cuts it with water to make it go further. He waters it down. Paul says, we give it to you as we would, as it would be from Christ. We speak in Christ, in the sight of God. You get the truth from Paul, because in the truth is triumph. There's no triumph in a watered-down version of the gospel. There is no victory in the things that aren't correct from Scripture. Okay. You get the words of life. I pray today that the words of life, these are words of life to you and not words of death. If you reject this gospel of Jesus Christ, if you reject the forgiveness that comes to you in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that is death and that is eternal death. These are words of life. These are words of triumph. They are for all who hear. And these words of triumph and grace from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ are sufficient for all that we need. Next week, we will look and see how they are sufficient to meet every need that we have. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, the sweetness of the words of life, the sweetness of a life that is a living sacrifice to you, the sweetness as we manifest the knowledge of Jesus Christ in all that we do, you have called us and given us this great gift, that is salvation. You have called us to manifest it everywhere in the world, that we would be demonstrators of the things of Christ, and you tell us that this is sweet in your nostrils. Lord, it is a smell that you are pleased with. It would be for us a smell that brings back those good memories, a smell that is enjoyable. These works done in the name of Christ, these works done for his glory, these works done that promote the gospel, these are pleasing to you. Lord, open our eyes where we might be living sacrifices, where we are presently not, where we're presently not working 
for the things of Christ, where we've got our own agenda going. Come upon us, Lord. Clear these things of the world from our minds that we might know the triumph that comes in Christ, the triumph that comes in working these things that bring you glory, these things that are pleasing in your sight, Lord, that we might rest in Christ and all that he has done for us, that we might rejoice in the grace that you bestow upon us, and, Lord, we may walk in the triumph of Christ, the parade, for we know the sweetness of the words that bring life. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Our hymn is 422, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind, Forgive Our Foolish Ways. Let's stand as we sing 422.